This is Think Sustainability, where we look at practical solutions for a better planet. I'm Lawrence Bull. In this episode, I go to Sydney's Chowder Bay to meet up with Mitchell Brennan from the Sydney Institute of Marine Science. He's about to dive into the water to check up on his babies. Dozens of seahorses he helped raise in captivity and recently released into the wild. Hey, how's it going? Hey. Are you Mitchell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, Good to meet you. Likewise. Just getting set up? Yeah, it's starting to set up now. A couple of months ago, Mitchell and his colleagues released hundreds of baby seahorses here in Sydney Harbour. White seahorses, sometimes called Sydney seahorses, are only found in Australia. It's illegal to take them out of the water, but that isn't the issue here. The problem is that their habitats are being destroyed. It's estimated there are around a third as many as there were 20 years ago. The water's cold, but the visibility has been fantastic, so it makes it nice to be in. So how many times have you been here already? We're doing weekly surveys following the release of the seahorses. So this will be my seventh dive post-release. What's the most interesting thing for you about seahorses? Yeah, they're, so they're super unique. They're really charismatic. Everybody recognises what a seahorse is, but not so much knows what they are exactly. So they're a species of fish and comparative to other fish, they're really, really unique. So this family is the only one that the males give birth. Uh, they have a fused jaw, so they don't have a mandible that opens and closes. So they're sucking up their prey items. Um, they don't have a stomach, so they're eating all the time. So prey items in, in the hundreds to thousands in a day. Okay. They have a really unique body morphology and they're almost mythical, which is where some of the nomenclature for their name comes from. So Hippocampus, which is a genus name for seahorses, comes from um, horse-like sea monster is the translation. They've been recognised to be something that's just super unique and mythical and mysterious and something that just draws your attention all the time. Seahorses are regarded as canaries in the coal mines of marine ecosystems. When they're dying off, it means the whole system is in trouble. Seahorses are pretty poor swimmers. They swim vertically, which is not a great start. They have a little tiny dorsal fin on their back and two little pectoral fins on the side of their head that almost look like ears. So obviously not made for swimming. They have a prehensile tail that holds onto their habitat. So this includes seagrasses and soft corals. And what that enables the seahorse to do is to stay in place and anchor. The seahorses can also camouflage with these habitats so they can avoid predation and have that security. And then lots of little critters climb all over these habitats. So little amphipods and copepods, which are the prey items for seahorses as well. Typically for this species, their home range is a maximum of about 100 metres in their lifespan. So they're really, really reliant on these habitat. And then we've seen significant declines in some of these habitats. Decades ago, harbour bays like Chowder used to be green with unbroken fields of seagrass. There were just a few little circles of sand. In the middle of these circles, there'd be a boat anchor. As more boats populated the bays, more circles appeared, breaking up the seagrass. Today, the bay is covered in sand with patches of seagrass. The kind that seahorses like is classified as endangered. This is killing off seahorses and other creatures as well who live in the seagrass. And now, recently, the soft coral, which was their preferred habitat in Port Stephens, has had huge declines, so something from 30,000 colonies down to about 50 colonies. 
this was already occurring over the last decade, but the floods of the last two years has re really affected the last of that and then subsequently impacted the seahorses and seen significant population decline. Why does this matter? Like, what happens if we lose seahorses? It's really, really important. Seahorses have existed for around 25 million years, as they are, and it's only in the last few decades that we're seeing these dramatic declines. And this is all due to anthropogenic activity, so human impacts are affecting these guys. Without positive intervention, there's a chance that these seahorses, these seahorse species, won't be around. So to give his babies a place to live, Mitchell and his team are restoring some of the seagrass and soft corals. But they're also building little seahorse hotels. So the hotels, they're just a metal structure. They're just a metal cage, for lack of better words. Uh, and over time, this cage will get fouled up by lots of marine organisms. So to begin with, there's things like sponges and algae and bivalves like oysters and things like that. Over a period of two to three years, the metal corrodes away and it's left with a natural reef. And this is replacing some of that habitat that's been lost before. There's plenty of other animals that we see in them, whether it's little tiny things like crabs and nudibranchs and things like that, or we see a lot of juvenile fish that use that shelter. In December, just gone, we happened to be there diving and got to see a male give birth in the wild. So that was about one of the coolest experiences I've had. Seeing a male give birth to hundreds of little seahorses in the wild was super cool, really rewarding. Yeah, that's something nobody really gets to see, do they? <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Even people that have been diving for a long time might not have come across that, so we're super fortunate to be there at the right time. They give birth to hundreds of babies, but it's over and done within a couple of minutes, typically. Experiences like that are definitely something that you try and tell everyone that will listen, whether it's friends, family, the local community, anyone. The survival rate for juvenile seahorses is probably about 1%, so it's really minimal. Octopus and cuttlefish are probably their main predators, and then large fish species will come in and eat them as well. That first life stage, where they're only 7 millimetres to a centimetre long, they're highly predated by almost any fish that swims past them will try to eat them at that point. So we collected three pregnant male seahorses from right where we are today at Chowder Bay and we took them into the aquarium where we allowed them to give birth. Then they took the males back home to the wild to keep breeding with their partners. Meanwhile we had the seahorses which are called fry when they're first born within the aquarium. We wanted them to be back out into the water sooner to try and get them to grow faster but also to grow efficiently and be stronger. So they worked out optimal water temperatures and diets? Lots of people would have had sea monkeys when they were younger. So the same sort of process where we hatch out these dehydrated eggs and then feed out the shrimp multiple times a day. As I said before, seahorses don't have a stomach so they're eating all the time which means we need to feed them all the time. And then that results in having to clean the tanks multiple times a day. It is quite an, an intense process. It's a real labour of love. Typically it would take up to nine months or a year to get to the size that we want to tag them and then release them. So we managed to get them to that size within four months. We can get them to six, seven, eight, nine centimetres. They can change their colours quite efficiently at that point and camouflage and hide and really functionally hold on to their habitat and hopefully avoid predators. We introduce them to a cuttlefish to try and train them and say, 
this is a predator, try and avoid this once you're back out into the wild. And it worked. Instead of 1% surviving, as they do out in the wild, 90% survived. And they released them all. How does dyeing them work? Yeah, You tattoo them all, you give them all unique colours? Yeah, so tattooing, for lack of a better word, is, the, is what we do. You inject it subcutaneously, so just under the skin, and then using different body placements on the seahorses and different colour combinations, you can give them their individual identifications. Oh, wow. Um, but they change colours, yeah? So does that colour stay the same while the rest of them changes? Yeah, exactly. So the elastomer will stay the same colour that you give them. So typically we use reds, blues, yellows, pinks and oranges and greens. But the seahorses will change colour. The elastomer stays the same and stays in the same body location and will stay there for their lifespan. There was one seahorse that we had for a while that had this really bright, vivid orange colour. It was on one of the orange sponges down here under the pylons, and that one was always fantastic to see. So where are they all, the hotels? About 10 metres off the net, heading out towards the middle of Sydney Harbour, at about six, six and a half metres in depth. And then the seahorses would kind of aggregate on the net under the wharf, but also on bits of sponge and sargasms and other algaes on the pylons. And then we've seen a handful in the seagrass on the inside of the net. That's where you'll find them. So you go under for an hour and a half? Yeah, we have a standardised search time and we have a standardised searched area. So then each time we go, we know how the seahorse numbers are changing week to week and then years down the track. So what are you hoping to find today? What are you hoping to see? A whole bunch of seahorses, ideally. It's been pretty consistent. The last three weeks I've gotten between 71 and 73. We will hope to see roughly the same numbers. So we know that the uh, population that we've added to is starting to stabilise. It'd be great to see seahorses starting to pair up. And then in the next month or two, we will hopefully see them starting to reproduce, whether we see pregnant males or we see the courtship dances taking place. That'd be the ideal thing to see in the near future. I want to take a moment here to say that seahorse courtship is really something else. Courtship happens over three days. Here's how it usually goes. The male arrives at the pair's daily greeting location. The female travels to meet him. The male inflates his pouch with water. One of the seahorses brightens in colour. Then the other one blushes brightly back. They both use their tails to grab something to anchor themselves and begin to circle like a merry-go-round. Every so often, they swim side by side in lockstep to their next anchoring location. The male starts to simulate the way he'll give birth. He does vigorous crunches, touching his tail to his trunk, pumping water in and out of his pouch. They'll meet up like this for three days. On the third morning of courtship, the female's belly is round with eggs, and what looks like a pointy nipple protrudes from its base. This is the ovipositor, which will lay the eggs into the male's pouch. The female lets go of her anchor and stretches out her whole body, pointing her snout up to the surface and the tip of her tail to the ground. Then they both rise through the water, facing each other with their tails bent back. They display different colorations whilst they're doing it. And that's where the female transfers her eggs into the male's pouch and the male then fertilizes the eggs. The male gently sways to settle the eggs and the seahorses descend. 
These seahorses will mate exclusively, as long as they're both around. And every morning, they'll come back to this spot and dance for the rest of their lives together. So why do they do this? One expert, Dr. Amanda Vincent, says the reason courtship lasts three days may be to give the female time to produce and ripen her eggs, safe in the knowledge they won't go to waste. She also says, each time I watch, I'm newly astonished at the beauty and uniqueness of this graceful courtship and mating. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's awesome to see in the wild as well. When you get in the water, especially early mornings, you'll see them doing their little courtship dances, maintaining that relationship, I guess. They're going to start pairing up now. So we'll start seeing that over the next couple months. The breeding season itself starts in October, but typically the pairs start coming together now as we're coming out of winter. So you guys have a boat or you just jump off the pier here? Yeah, we're just straight in off the wharf. It's high tide now, so that means we can just do what is called a giant stride off the uh, steps of the wharf and then we'll swim out and drop down on the net and then we'll spend the next 90 minutes looking through the net primarily and then looking at some of the habitat adjacent. So we'll get some footage and some quick pictures as we make our way along. As you walk across the wharf, you'll be able to see a lot of the habitat on the bottom. So bits of the seagrass and algaes and things like that. So for us, we know it's a good day for visibility because they're at about four meters, five meters deep. And we can see them pretty clearly from the wharf this morning. So should be in for a pretty good dive. Oh wow, yeah, you can see everything. Everything at the moment, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, so we'll go down oh, the stairs over here. Oh look, white seahorse yeah. sign <laughs> telling people not to take them. That's a sign just informing them of the two seahorse species that you'll uh, typically see here. So white seahorses we see in the larger numbers and then you'll get the occasional potbelly seahorse which is a larger species and you'll only see them every now and again. They're better swimmers so they'll move around a bit more and then watch these last yeah, stairs right. slippery. Can <laughs> <laughs> I jump in now? How's the water? It's a bit chilly, but yeah, not too bad. Alright, so yeah, we'll swim over and drop down at the far end, but... That uh, end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll meet you there in like an hour and a half at that end? Yep. Cool. Sweet. Good. See you there. You go. Yeah, really great. I'm standing up on the pier. Mitchell is floating in the water a couple of meters below. Yeah, it's fantastic. So just counted up and we found 70 again. So almost the exact same number as last week. And 
most excitingly, we just saw one that was pregnant, actually. Oh, wow. So, Already? Yeah, one of ours, which is cool. A bit early in the season, but yeah, pretty cool, pretty exciting. First one. Good, uh, good dive otherwise. It's about 18 degrees, so warmer than expected, which is great. And yeah, good visibility. Lots of other critters going on. They're starting to spread to some other habitats, but today they were really dense on the nets, and then a handful on sargassum, and then a few moving off into the seagrass nearby. It's a great site to get into, and then once you're underwater, it's fantastic as well. So much life that you'll see constantly, whether it's your little things like nudibranchs and little anglerfish that people love looking at, the seahorses obviously, but you get some big animals coming in and out as well. One of our local divers posted yesterday that there's an eagle ray swimming around in here and always something to see. Yeah, it's fantastic. So just counted up and we found 70 again. So almost the exact same number as last week. And most excitingly, we just saw one that was pregnant, actually. Oh, wow. So, Already? Yeah, one of ours, which is cool. A bit early in the season, but yeah, pretty cool, pretty exciting. First one. Good dive otherwise. It's about 18 degrees, so warmer than expected, which is great. And yeah, good visibility. Lots of other critters going on. They're starting to spread to some other habitats, but... Today they were really dense on the nets, and then a handful on sargassum, and then a few moving off into the seagrass nearby. It's a great site to get into, and then once you're underwater it's fantastic as well. So much life that you'll see constantly, whether it's your little things like nudibranchs and little anglerfish that people love looking at, the seahorses obviously, but you get some big animals coming in and out as well. One of our local divers posted yesterday that there's an eagle ray swimming around in here. Always something to see. I walk back along the pier to meet Mitchell as he walks into the beach. So any highlights? Oh, definitely the pregnant male that we saw. So really positive to see them out there reproducing now in the wild uh, must be eating well and in good condition to be able to move towards reproduction so yeah re really positive and yeah the reproduction out there in the wild is what will lead to ongoing boost of the populations as well but yeah overall the seahorse numbers were really excellent we're really happy with how it's trending so far cool how can we identify the pregnant male? Does he have a colour or...? Yeah, he has a red tag on his right hand side. He's one of the bigger ones of what we released, so he's probably about eight and a half, nine centimetres. And do you know who the mum is? There were actually about four seahorses within about 30 centimetres of each other, so it would likely be one of them. These seahorses are typically uh, staying in the same area so we'll go check on this little guy again next week and we'll see which of the uh, other seahorses are staying close by and that should give us a pretty good indication and how long till birth happens gestation's typically about three weeks all right so that's not too long <laughs> not too long at all yeah so you'll be lucky to catch this one 
giving birth if oh, you're here at the right time, yeah? <laughs> It'll be very lucky too. We can narrow it down to a couple of weeks, but yeah, mm. has to be right time, right? And yeah, finding it again. If you'd like to go for a dive or help this conservation work in some other way, you can take photos of any tagged seahorses you see and upload them to the iNaturalist website under Sydney Seahorse Project. The link's in the show notes. You can also see plenty of photos on Instagram. Just look for Sydney Seahorse Project. So that's for scuba divers and snorkelers? Yeah, absolutely. So it's typically a bit easier to find the seahorses when you are scuba diving, but snorkelers, absolutely, you can see them, especially on the nets on a good day. All we need is a a photo that uh, shows the tag on the side and we will be able to identify that it's one of our individuals. I guess I'll let you guys get all packed up. Nice, nice warm shower, I think. Yeah. All right, thanks so much. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for coming down. See you later. That's it for this episode of Think Sustainability. Thanks to Mitchell Brennan for speaking with me. This series is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio and the University of Technology, Sydney. This episode was made in Sydney on Gadigal, Borrigal and Camaragal land. You can listen to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lawrence Bull. Thanks for listening.